welcome to the Africa Football Showdown. I am Daniel Dazzi. A little different today, we're going to do a special episode diving into life inside the Super Eagles camp and preview the big talking points ahead of the hosts, Ivory Coast, facing the team that has been the standout in this tournament, Senegal. That's coming up. And a bit later in the program, I'll be analyzing the results with some special guests and talking about all the other games so far in the round of 16 and the clashes to come as well. This is the Africa Football Showdown. And let me connect now with Mimi Fawaz. Uh, this is an interview that we recorded before she headed off to Yamoussoukro from Abidjan to watch Ivory Coast face Senegal in the round of 16 clash. Let me welcome my sister Mimi Fawaz, who is currently enjoying the sunny weather in Cote d'Ivoire, um, watching the games from, you know, the choicest seats with all the superstars. Mimi, how has it been so far? Akwaba, Daniel. Um, hello. It's It's been great. Um, I've been here now since just before the last 16 matches began. Um, people are really lovely, very hospitable. I'm enjoying the local food. I had a cheque the other day, the local food. Uh, I've been enjoying the warm weather. So I, I'm I'm not missing the cold at the moment where you are at, <laughs> Daniel, but I'll be catching up with you guys in a couple of weeks. I am so jealous, Mimi. <laughs> you know, a cheque is also my traditional food um, from the western part of Ghana because where I'm Yeah, from, I know there are many Ghanaians yeah. here and I think there's like historically a, a, a link between both nations and what they were telling me. Exactly, exactly. So my mm. tribe actually straddles the border between Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana. Oh, how so interesting. Yeah, yeah. So enjoy a bite for me. Enjoy a bite on my behalf. Um, Don't worry, I will again. Finish. I have some with some aluko, which is um, plantain. That's what they call plantain here. Ooh. And some grilled fish. So I'll be thinking of you next time I have it, Daniel. <laughs> Let's not turn this into the Africa food showdown. We've seen footage of you having a good time at the stadium. Um, at the stadiums. Tell me, how has it been like? Yeah, so I, I was um, for the last 16 match, uh, Nigeria and Cameroon, right here in Abidjan, at the um, Ofebwani, Felix Ofebwani Stadium. And it was just really good being there and soaking up the atmosphere. I also got to watch it with some of the other legends who were, who were around watching it. Jomansi Kamara of Senegal. There was Emmanuel Adebayo as well of Togo, who was working at JJ Okocha, was near me. Salomon Kalu was near me as well, my Rico. So, of course, JJ is a Nigerian, will always be supporting Nigeria. Um, and he would like Nigeria to go all the way. Um, I, I spoke as well to some of the Senegalese legends, and they as well are looking forward to the match today where Senegal will be playing Ivory Coast in a few hours' time. And, and what they're saying about this key crucial game is that Ivory Coast have been given a second, I guess, life, if you could say. Because if you remember, they looked like they were on their way out. And it was Morocco scoring in their last game that helped them to qualify through to the next round. So they feel... Um, that you know, they've got to do it now. They've got nothing to lose. And I was listening to some interviews on social media today of Ivorians, and I couldn't stop laughing, saying a ghost, uh, a ghost is not scared. Meaning, like he was saying, they were already dead because they expected yeah. to be out, and now yeah. they're still in the competition. So they're not scared of anything, and they're just going to go like full out to hopefully get a good result. There's an expression in Ghana where, uh, by a former president, they said a dead goat does not fear the knife. Um, so I guess similar. Similar situation. Yeah. But let's look back before we go into the crystal ball. Let's look back at that Nigeria-Cameroon game. That team mm -hmm. 
the Nigeria team seems to be playing with a real confidence, a sense of togetherness. Uh, tell me more about what's going on in camp now. Yeah, so I, I was uh, in the Nigeria team hotel yesterday, and as you know, Kenneth Omeruwo, who we had on the program, the Nigeria defender, uh, in our first episode, I spoke with him as well, and I asked him, you know, how how things are, and he said, yeah, now there's confidence after that Cameroon game, there's confidence now moving forward, and I think what's really great about this Nigerian side, if you remember, even us, and everybody was speaking before coming into the competition, nobody had put Nigeria as one of the favorites. You know, remember people were talking about the defending champions being um, Senegal being one of the favorites, Morocco because of their historic run in Qatar, the first African country to reach the semifinals, and Egypt, the seven times as you know, champions, through they were all the way through to the final the last time around. Now they're out of the competition after losing to DRC in the penalties. Three of the countries people put in the mix of the favorites, Nigeria wasn't in there. But now Nigeria has steadily grown in the competition. We were speaking a lot about the striking force up front that Nigeria has, such as um, uh, Victor Osimhen, uh, but... Now everybody's talking about the defense. It's no longer about the strikers or, or the forwards. It's about the defense, how solid the Nigeria defense has been in the competition so far. And as we saw in Cameroon, William Trust Ekong is the other captain. And you can really see in the matches his leadership qualities. And you could see it again um, in, the, in the Nigeria v. Cameroon match. So I think Jose Pacero has had to adapt missing, for example, Wilfred Ndidi um, from injury before coming into the competition. And we saw him now giving Frank Onyeka more that role. He's played um, Alex Iwobi a bit more deeper in midfield rather than more up front. Calvin Bassi, as we know, in the left back and Olaena in right back, they as well have been very solid for Nigeria in the defense and as well going up in the middle to help uh, attacking. So they've been doing really, really well. And as well, I have to give props to Ademola Lukman, who scored those two goals for Nigeria in, in the Cameroon match. You know, Victor Osimhen, a lot of people said, OK, maybe he hasn't been scoring as many goals, but he's still playing such a key role. He might not be scoring the goals, but he's opening up play for other players then to spring up and score those goals. I saw that assist in Lukman's goal against Cameroon and it was such a sublime pass, really. He, he literally gifted Lukman the goal on a silver platter. All the best to him. I, I, it looks like the golden boot dreams <laughs> might have slipped out of his hands. But I, I must say, since Nigeria conceded one goal against Equatorial Guinea at the beginning of the tournament, They've not conceded another goal at all. This was a team that yeah. we seen was weak defensively and was weak in the middle. They've grown in confidence. Um, they've worked really hard. There's a, there's a great bonding and spirit in camp. And I think Jose Pacero has done well with his tactics, having to adjust to some of the weaknesses. There were so many injuries, as we know, even Victor Boniface up front that people were expecting as well to help Osman with getting those goals. So he's done really well. Um, and adjusting his, his tactics and having five at the back in, in defense so that, you know, goals are not coming through. So teams are finding it really hard. And, you know, you spoke about Emilio Nsue. Um, uh, you know, unfortunately, Equatorial Guinea, they, they, they're now out of the competition. Um, yeah. They lost to, yeah, they lost out to Guinea. Bayo getting, what, that 98-minute goal. So Emilio Nsue with five goals and missing that penalty could have been six goals, so a golden boot. But I think so many people are missing, not speaking about as much, but they will pay attention to it in the next match when they play Nigeria in the quarterfinals, is Angola's Jelson Dalla. He is on four goals mm. in this competition. So just behind Emilio Nsue, who's the top scorer right now in the competition, and, and Angola themselves are a, a, a very formidable attacking force. So 
we'll have to see if if Justin Dalla in that in that Nigeria match how he will do. Cote d'Ivoire are facing the champions Senegal. Um, Cote d'Ivoire lost against this same Equatorial Guinea 4-0. That was such an embarrassing exit. And after that, they sacked their coach before they realized they were qualifying to the round of 16. Do you think that decision would be one that they'll live to regret today? I don't know. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. You can look at it both ways. As I said, many Ivorians now are saying, and even Senegalese themselves, some Senegalese fans are like, oh, it could be a tricky one because they have nothing to lose. They really thought they were going to be out of the competition. And now they're through to the last 16. They want to, of course, bring some pride to the nation after losing 4-0, the biggest home defeat to Equatorial Guinea in the group stages. So they're really going to be going all out. They have nothing to lose, Daniel. See, I was trying to push Mimi to tell me who her money is on, but Mimi's being careful. I understand. This I'm going to be diplomatic. Stuff. I'm staying on the fence on this one. It's just nice just to watch as a neutral and just see good football. Look, I get it. This has been an Afghan of surprises. <laughs> I'm not putting my money on anyone again. Thanks so much. I'm going to leave you to enjoy that trip to Yamoussoukro. Be careful. And I right, Mimi, have a good one. Thank you, Daniel. Hey there, you're still live on the Africa Football Showdown. A big shout out to you if you're listening to us on any of our partner stations here in London, in Zambia, in Malawi, in Nigeria, in Ghana, in Liberia. I'm running out of countries at the moment. And all the countries we have partner stations in across the continent. Remember, you can catch the extended version of the podcast on Spotify, on iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts or on our YouTube podcast feed. This is the Africa Football Showdown. Back to the action. Mimi is currently probably in the stadium in Yamoussoukro, currently watching the end of that Senegal Ivory Coast clash. And Peter is not able to join us today. We'll have him in later episodes. But we are well represented because Mohamed Kutb is an Egyptian football journalist. You may have seen him on pretty much every major English and Arabic network. Hi, Mo. How are you doing? Hi, Daniel. Good to see you. Good to have you on the show, man. Thanks um, for having me. Let's get straight to it. Uh, we are in extra time in Yamoussoukro now. We oh, are yeah. the extra time live. Tell me about the game so far. Oh, it's mad, man. It's, it's mad to see Cote d'Ivoire coming back from Death Valley and putting on a performance like this. Um, Senegal were up early in the first half. A wonderful strike from Habib Diallo, assisted by uh, Sergio Mane. But they, I feel that they've kind of given the Ivory Coast more of the ball than they should have. They should have tried and capitalized on this lack of confidence um, the Ivory Coast walked into the game with and score a second one and then sit at the back. But what happened after that, that the Ivory Coast uh, stepped into their game, they created some chances, and it wasn't until the last 10 minutes when uh, Francese managed to convert a penalty into the equaliser. That came after him, Sebastian Aller, Simon Adingra, some faces that we missed, and the Ivory Coast definitely missed throughout the tournament came on and uh, yeah I mean I feel now what I've seen what, what I can see now is that the Ivory Coast are in control Senegal are trying to drag it to the penalty shootout and this is the complete opposite of what it, what we expected walking into this game but this mm. is AFCON this is the madness of this tournament 
and we can't have enough of it, can we? <laughs> Not, no, we cannot have enough of this action. It's been a nail-biting tournament so far. But let's take a minute to talk about MS5. I mean, the, the new Ivorian coach, he took over um, a matter of days ago. Ivory Coast, as we all know, sacked their coach after they found out they, they may not qualify for the next stage. And they tried to get heavy now. It did not work out. And so they dragged in MS Faye. Great job he's done so far. That's one thing you can never find elsewhere. But in AFCON, a national team, a host nation, trying to borrow a manager from uh, the other side of the world. But a big shout out to MS Faye. Phenomenal work to lift his team up from such a 4-0 defeat and this low point in the history of Ivorian football. And I feel like he understood as a former player that the team needs some experience coming into this game. So mm. uh, he brought Jean-Michel Siray on, he brought Max Grader on, some very experienced faces. And tactically, that worked better for the Ivory Coast, especially in the midfield. Because when you play Jean-Michel Siray as the anchorman, as the one who is responsible for distributing the ball you leave so much room for Seko Fofana to go forward and do what he does best. And another bold choice that MSFI has uh, taken is to bench Francese. That's something unimaginable. I don't think Jean-Louis Gasset would have ever dared to do that. But I think African players would understand it more from a fellow former footballer when they tell him, Look, I'll bench you. You will have a different role. The team needs that at this point, And you will come on and make the difference. And that's exactly what Fonkese has done in the last 20 minutes or so. So I think personally, if I was um, a decision maker at the Ivorian Football Federation, I wouldn't look to borrow any other managers. If he wins this one, he has to keep the job, in my opinion. Um, like I said earlier, Mo is keeping his eye on that game currently. If you hear him shouting or if you hear him interrupting <laughs> anything or changing his I'm neutral, of... though. I'll, I'll shout for any of the two sides. So exactly. I'll count myself as a neutral. We would have to investigate why he's shouting. That's all I'll say. <laughs> um, but let's move away from the game that's currently ongoing and quickly touch on Mauritania Cape Verde. Cape Verde won 1-0. I must say I'm a bit surprised. I expected a, a, a higher scoreline looking at the kind of quality that Cape Verde showed in the group stage. But Mauritania has done excellently well getting this far in this tournament. What a brave side Mauritania is, uh, Daniel. I've uh, been really impressed with uh, the spirit they play with, the amount of development we've seen within this Mauritania team from the last time back in 2021, from the first participation in 2019, to become this team that can compete with an experienced side like Algeria and beat them, to become this team that would cause Cape Verde so much problems. This is a team that has eased their way past Egypt, past Ghana in the group stage. So um, to see this resistance from Mauritania was remarkable. All they need now is to build on their success. The legacy is going to start from now on. And uh, yeah, I mean, making the habit of being an AFCON was a step. Uh, making it to the knockout stage is another step. And the best is yet to come for this wonderful squad. A big shout out to Amir Abdu in particular, the Mauritania manager, because what he has done with Comoros two years ago 
in Cameroon, he's repeated with Mauritania, for these small nations in football to make it to the knockout stage takes more than just luck. It takes a lot of skill and a lot of work, which you can easily see within this Mauritania team. Yeah, I remember that Comoros squad that cost Ghana the qualification oh. from the group stage. Sorry for Cameroon. bringing about some bad memories. <laughs> yeah, bro. I'll forgive you. <laughs> but another fairy tale, this has been an Afghan of fairy tales, really. And another fairy tale that was cut short, unfortunately, was Equatorial Guinea. After that sterling, sterling performance um, coming out against Ivory Coast, coming out against Nigeria, and coasting past Guinea-Bissau, we expected Guinea to be, you know, slim, easy, an easy game for Emilio Nsue and his boys. That did not happen. Yeah, I feel um, Equatorial Guinea uh, had this moment to carry on in the tournament. They had the penalty. Emilio Nsue stepped in and he just puts it in the post. And um, I felt really sorry for the manager of Equatorial Guinea. His reaction following this miss was something you... You can't help but sympathize with. But shout out to Guinea, a very disciplined group under Kabadiawara. We didn't expect them to hold so many teams up. Even the games they lost against Senegal, they did really well trying to contain the Senegalese squad. And they had this belief that they could score at the very final moment. And all this happened without the big guns turning up. We're yet to see some of Cerro Garassi. And imagine if Sarah Garassi turns up. You never know. They might have a shot against DRC in the quarterfinal. Well, that brings us to DRC, doesn't it? See, let me tee this up for you. <laughs> both Egypt and DRC did not win a game in this tournament. In fact, both teams are yet to win a game in this tournament. DRC is through to the quarterfinals. Would you say it's a bit unfair or bad luck on the part of Egypt? No, I, I don't think it's unfair or bad luck. Egypt. Uh, I mean, when you play with all due respect, Mozambique, Cape Verde in the group stage, initially we thought this is going to be a piece of cake. And when you have this early good start against Mozambique that should have set, I mean, the way uh, forward for Egypt to just seal this uh, qualification really early. But they struggled against Mozambique. They struggled against Ghana. They struggled against Cape Verde and even against the DLC. So they've showed this pattern. And let me touch on something. Egypt conceded seven goals in four games. Egypt, in the previous tournament, they made the final. They conceded two goals throughout the tournament. And this is, if, if anything, this shows that this team is a totally different team in terms of discipline. I know, Daniel, that you watched the game last night. And have you seen the goal conceded by Egypt? There are five players of Egypt protesting a throw-in lifting their hands up, protesting the throw. Meanwhile, Congolese player plays the throw-in, it goes to Johan Wissa, he crosses it over, and it's in the back of the net. Next thing, Egyptians are looking for the VAR. This is not Egypt, this is not the Egyptian discipline, this is not the Egyptian character. And throughout this tournament, I felt that nobody was in charge of this team. Not just in terms of tactics, not just in terms of squad selection, even in terms of communications. Well, look at how messed up the Salah story has become, basically because uh, it was mismanaged from the very first moment it happened by everyone. And um, yeah, it's a shame to see Egypt crash out of AFCON this way. Let me remind you that the last time Egypt crashed out of AFCON without a single win was in 1992. So um, 
this tells you everything you need to know about how much of a failure this has been, especially walking into the tournament with one of the best players in the world, like Salah, with a good run, arguably, in the qualifiers, with the highest paid manager in the tournament. And to produce these underwhelming performances, um, it doesn't sit well with anyone in Egypt. The youngest player we have in this Egypt squad is 24 years old. And this hmm. tells you that this manager has not fulfilled the objective he was signed for. Um, on the other hand, let me give you an example. Morocco, for example, they had two players from the under-23 team in the starting lineup against um, Zambia in their final group stage match. Um, we have Ismail Sibari, we had Absamak Zalzouli, and we also have Bilal Khanous and other players that we are yet to see. And this tells you how good Walid Dragragi has been yeah. introducing at, at, at a high moment as well. So he yeah. has a team that finished fourth in the World Cup and he's still able to just introduce new players into it. Meanwhile, Rui Vittoria waited for Ahmed Hegazi to recover from a six-month-long injury, Mohamed Nenni to recover from a six-month-long injury, and he starts with them the AFCON. And it showed instantly how slow the team was. So, I mean... It, it was just I, I, I his own. Know, I don't know. It, it feels like a deja vu for me because being a Ghana uh, fan, uh, being a Ghanaian, I should say, uh, it reminds me of, you know, how Richard Euphoria, goalkeeper, has not played for his club in South Africa for almost the entire season. And he starts at first goalkeeper. Andre De Deayu, going into the tournament, did not have a club until yeah. just a few weeks of the tournament. And then... He comes to where the captain's ban against Mozambique. I mean, to even be called in the first place. That's so. So there's a lot of conversations to be had around um, coaching and administration, which, which, which gives us a question we can put to the audience: Do you think the national team belongs to players, or does it belong to the nation? Because mm. from what I can see in 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 some African teams, and I have to add to these teams, Cameroon as well, Egypt, Ghana, and Cameroon in particular. It does seem to me like the national team has been belonging to specific individuals. So here is Rigobert Song believing in his group. He's going to call his group whatever happens. Here is Jamal Belmadi with Algeria. He's going to stick to the veterans. No matter how many young players come through uh, all levels of European football. Here is Egypt. They're just going to stick to the same group over and over again and introduce the oldest squad in the Africa Cup of Nations while the objective was to make a team that can qualify to the 2026 World Cup. So the question is, should national teams belong to a specific generation, even if it had all the success, or does it belong to the nation and who's best at the moment? Well, if you're listening to us on the Africa Football Showdown, this is a question for you. Get on our socials and let's get talking, especially if you're, if you're listening to us or watching us from Egypt. I really want to know what your answer is. So this is the Africa Football Showdown with me, Daniel Daze, and I'm here with Mohamed Kut. And we are watching the penalty shootout between Senegal and Ivory Coast. It has to be money, isn't it? Has to be. Fifth penalty. Has to be. Yeah, it is money. Yeah. And he scores. Over no to Ivory Coast that... now. Mm -hmm. Imagine the pressure. On the next Ivorian player. Because you just have to score and win. 
who's walking slowly to take this one? Seko Fofana is pointing at him and saying, you can do it. It actually is Frank Kese who scored them the penalty that led them to the penalty shootout. Okay. Lightning striking twice. That's, that's, yeah. that's better than Netflix, man, isn't it? I swear, I'm not going to call oh this one. Oh, my God. I say he scores. Let's see. Guess what? He does. And he puts it above Edward Bendy. And the Ivory Coast are through. Oh, my God. I love AFCON, man. <laughs> Only in oh AFCON. Oh, my God. Only, in, Only AFCON. in AFCON. This is a team that sacked their manager three, four days ago. Coming back from a 4-0 defeat against Equatorial Guinea at home, the Ivory Coast are in the quarterfinal of the Africa Cup of Nations, defeating the defending champions. Who have not if, lost I mean, a game. I mean, to, if, if you don't love AFCON, you don't love football. I'm sorry. Honestly. But, but what we have seen today is an example of a team doing everything right. The team of Senegal, they introduced new players, they... Uh, looked really, really in control of all their games. They started the, this game against the Ivory Coast really well. But I have to be honest with you, uh, the poetic side in me is loving what I can see now, is loving the fact that Ivory Coast, coming back from Death Valley, are now one of the final eight. And, I mean, there is nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing they should fear now coming into the quarterfinal, where they meet either Mali or Burkina Faso. Alrighty, uh, we'll be back <laughs> for our next <laughs> episode to see how that pans out. But this has been the Africa Football Showdown. Thank you so much, Mohamed, for joining us. Thank Mohamed you. Kut. Thanks for having me. And I want to give a special shout-out to Peter Okoche, who could not join us today, and Pierce Lynch, who sits at the back for us. My name is Daniel Dazi. Remember, you can catch us on any podcast streaming platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the whole lot. We're also on YouTube where you can catch the video version of this. A big, big, big thank you to all of our partner stations across the continent in Nigeria, in Ghana, in Malawi, in Zambia, in Liberia, and the rest of the continent. Catch you next Yeah.